It's the 24th of August, 2018. This is the Room Now We Can Review. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com, and this week we're gonna begin with a clinical challenge. It's Tuesday, a good clinic day for you. It's the morning session, and your third patient shows up, a new patient, and basically it's an adult, let's say 30, 40, 50 years old, doesn't really matter, who has an acute, asymmetric, oligoarticular inflammatory arthritis meaning there's a few swollen joints here. They're definitely swollen, there's no doubt about it. You have no labs, you have no other informa information. You wanna be um, profound and teach those residents and fellows what this is, and you expound the following differential diagnosis. What is your differential diagnosis? Well, you're gonna tell me that at the end of this report. In the meantime, let's cover some of the news from the past week at roomnow.com. Let's begin with a comparative study of women and pregnancy and the effects of arthritis on untoward outcomes, including preterm delivery. This particular study is a study of 500 or almost 670 patients with rheumatoid arthritis, 170 patients with JIA, and these were compared to women who don't have arthritis, about 564, and the outcome here is preterm birth. In a single setter study, what they showed was having either rheumatoid arthritis or juvenile idiopathic arthritis was associated with nearly a two-fold increase in preterm birth. Not a horrible outcome, but nonetheless an adverse pregnancy outcome that has significant consequences and should be avoided if at all possible. What they did show in their sub-analysis of this is the risk of preterm delivery was most attached to or linked to disease activity and steroid use. Steroid use is probably a marker or a surrogate marker for uncontrolled disease. Again, this is yet another study that shows it's not the drugs, it's the disease activity that determines the outcome in pregnancy amongst our patients who have inflammatory arthritis, rheumatic disease, and yes, even lupus and other autoimmune conditions. We must control activity first. An interesting study comes as an outgrowth or a sub-analysis of the Meteor study. It may sound familiar, the Meteor study was a study published in 2013 in the New England Journal. It was a study of about 350 uh, mild to moderate osteoarthritis of the knee patients who had uh, a meniscal tear. And they were then randomized to either receive uh, a menis meniscal surgery, um, meniscectomies or partial meniscectomies, or physical therapy. The outcome of that, of that particular study was that it didn't matter that physical therapy was almost as good as surgery. However, of those people who did have physical therapy, there was 30% who within six months went on to receive subsequent surgery. So the takeaway from the Meteor study is that if you have early OA and you have a meniscal tear, that is probably smarter to do uh, physical therapy first and that having physical therapy does not impair the outcomes later on. Interesting and sort of landmark study in the orthopedic world. In this particular study that looked at some of the data that was acquired in that um, analysis, they looked at 221 patients and specifically looked at what the association was between having knee synovitis or knee effusions on what happened to cartilage uh, over time. And what they showed quite interestingly was that if you had either large degrees of effusion or synovitis and it was sustained, that this was associated with greater degrees of cartilage thinning over an 18-month period. It sort of proves what we've always said, that inflammation drives cartilage loss. Inflammation is not a good thing for any joint, that even patients with OA 
need to be treated probably more aggressively if they have effusions and if they have detectable synovitis. I think a very important study. Another important study is a negative study. And I, the, I didn't even put the study in the tweet or in the, the, the news release that we had on this, but it's a 200-patient study from the, the Netherlands. It's on the use of hydroxychloroquine in osteoarthritis of the hands. It's Mika Haas's group. It's another one of many very well-done studies showing don't, don't use hydroxychloroquine or DMARDs in people who have hand OA. The studies are uniformly negative. It's a gigantic waste of time. I had a few comments from people saying, you know, in my experience, I use a little sulpazalzine or I use a little methotrexate. Sorry, folks, not proven, a gigantic waste of time. I don't really have a great solution at the other, as well. So that's, you know, great for me to tell you, please don't use it. And the, and the evidence argues against it. But on the other hand, uh, what do you do? Well, my best solution for hand OA, inflammatory or not, erosive or not, is to use simple analgesics, acetaminophen, somewhere between 2,000 and 4,000 milligrams of long-acting acetaminophen a day. I combine it with a little bit of low-dose prednisone, something I learned from Ted Pincus that seems to go a long way, not just in RA, but even in some cases of OA, 2.5 milligrams a day. Uh, hand physical therapy, um, there are reports suggesting that you can do localized injections of DIPs and PIPs. God help you if you know how to do it, or if you have an ultrasound, congratulations, you might be able to do it. I also like to use cohesive tape. Cohesive tape is that stretchy tape that you patients get when they're having their blood drawn. It's also called Coban. It looks something like this. It's a, you can buy, buy these for about a buck a roll. Two inch tape covers both the DIP and the PIP, and patients can immobilize those joints when they're particularly active. I tell patients keep reusing the tape, have it on there for 10 to 14 days. That's my best regimen. If you've got another one, please write us write an article, do research. We really need help in treating osteoarthritis of the hand. An interesting lupus study, a multinational lupus study of over 1,500 patients looked at the consequences of having renal disease on at least financial expenditures to manage lupus. In this particular study that was over seven years long, they showed that patients who had proteinuria were likely to have a fourfold higher amount of cost of total care going up from 20,000 if you didn't have proteinuria to 80, over 84,000 if you did have proteinuria. Similarly, and to a much greater degree, if you had a GFR and, of less than 30 cc's per minute, uh, and meaning that you had more than moderate uh, uh, CKD, that those patients with renal failure actually incurred a 15-fold higher rate of cost, going up from less than $20,000 to more than $310,000 in, a, in an 18-month period. So, so again, I, I actually, this is really sort of um, important data. I think it tells you the importance of managing renal disease in patients with lupus, which means we must manage blood pressure and be vigilant in monitoring for such outcomes. Whether you do that on your own or with a nephrologist is up to your own level of expertise. A study from Romania looked at the incidence of TB amongst patients taking TNF inhibitors. Specifically, they looked at over 500 patients who had um, taken TNF inhibitors for either rheumatoid arthritis, uh, psoriatic arthritis, or ankylosing spondylitis. In Romania, the background population risk of TB is 97 cases per 100,000 uh, individuals. That's about 20 times higher than is seen in the United States, uh, Canada, 
um, uh, the, the UK, for instance, where the rates are roughly three to five cases per 100,000. So it's 20 times higher in the general population. What happens if you're an RA patient and you're, you tend to have a LTBI, latent tuberculosis? Well, they measured TB and latent TB either by a tuberculin skin test greater than five, five millimeters or greater or 10 millimeters greater or quantiferon. Regardless of the method, the rates of TB, LTBI that is, were significantly higher. Five millimeters, it was 1,348. 10 millimeters, it was 862. Just a quantiferon being positive, it was 540. This means that having a positive PPD was six to 14 fold higher if you were taking a TNF inhibitor with rheumatoid arthritis or another inflammatory disease. Again, this backs up the data that Kevin Winthrop has shown us from the CDC and other places where if you take a TNF inhibitor on top of the disease, you can get as much as a nine fold or higher increased rate of LTBI. An interesting study comes uh, looking at acute coronary syndrome patients and the influence of hyperuricemia. This is a study of almost 28,000 individuals followed in a very two very large studies. Uh, and it showed that amongst these patients, 46% had hyperuricemia. And not all these people, actually very few of, the, of that group, actually had gout. So what were the consequences of having hyperuricemia? Well, they showed uh, uric acid levels above six was significantly associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular events, and that was not linked to having gout. So again, hyperuricemia is a bad player in vascular disease and cardiac outcomes, uh, and it's become a more and more of an issue in the cardiology world, not just in the gout and rheumatology world. Another difficult disease to manage is systemic sclerosis. I found an interesting study that, that we put up this week, which was about the outcomes of systemic sclerosis patients who are hospitalized. Specifically, this looked at a nationwide database of almost 50,000 scleroderma hospitalizations and took a subset of those, about nine to 10,000 individuals, and looked at the outcomes. They showed that number one, the rate of death was 5%. Not good, but not bad, compared to some of the lupus studies where uh, mortal outcomes are much higher in lupus patients who get hospitalized. This was high, but not that high. Turns out of those who died, um, and those, I'm sorry, those who were hospitalized and who died, the leading cause was infection. Infection accounted for 17% of the hospitalizations and as much as 33% of the overall deaths amongst uh, systemic sclerosis patients. Mortality was closely linked not just to infection, but also to having renal, acute renal failure and also to aspiration. The total length of stay and cost were linked to other things, including pulmonary fibrosis, myositis, renal disease, and bowel obstruction. So as we know, the complications of systemic sclerosis can be um, really serious and really have uh, dastardly outcomes. We know in this nationwide study, uh, I think that these data say that we need to be vigilant in keeping our patients out of the hospital and maybe keep a, a bigger eye open for managing infections as a way of, of keeping patients out of the hospital. An interesting study is an in vitro ex vivo study looking at temporal artery biopsies and temporal artery tissue explants and taking PBMCs from patients who had temporal arteritis and what the role of IL-12 and 23 was. Well, the bottom line was IL-12 and 23 was found in the temporal artery biopsies by immunohistochemical staining that they found that when they uh, used IL-12 
um, or IL-23 on PBMCs in culture. They increase the amount of pro-inflammatory cytokines, TH1 and TH2, TH17 cytokines. So IL-6, IL-22, gamma interferon and IL-8 when you gave IL-12. If you gave IL-23, there was a lot more IL-6, IL-22, IL-17A and IL-17F, suggesting that these two uh, cytokines play an important role in large vessel vasculitis um, and may be an important target. Well, we know that actually this has been studied. Um, Carol Langford had a small study, but a controlled study, showing this does work, um, albeit not quite as effectively, maybe a, at the same degree in another unrelated study looking at IL-6 inhibition um, with tocilizumab. Uh, using abatacep to inhibit IL-12 and 23 was actually, uh, not, I'm sorry, IL-12-23 is, <laughs> is, is another drug, as we know, from, um, it's Stellara, and that actually hasn't been studied. So abatacep's been studied uh, and was not quite as effective as tocilizumab. So maybe we need to have some studies looking at either IL-12-23 inhibitors uh, or maybe IL-23 inhibitors by themselves or IL-12 by itself. We'll see on down the line. You may want to look at some of our blogs from this week, um, a nice blog about um, uh, no-show rates in clinic from Rachel Tate. And I wrote a blog about the uh, dead word cemetery in rheumatology, which has got a lot of comments, including the ultimate fate of terms like connective tissue disease, rheumatism, Crest syndrome, and MCTD. Let's go to the answer that we pose at the top of this report. A patient who presents with asymmetric acute asymmetric oligoarticular inflammatory arthritis. What's the differential diagnosis? Here they are. Psoriatic arthritis, spondoarthritis, reactive arthritis, IBD-associated arthritis, sarcoidosis, fungal infection, TB infection, undifferentiated arthritis, CPPD, even RA, chlamydia, Lyme, um, and acute gonococcal infection. If you've got others, send them my way. That's it for this week on Room Now. You can go to the website to find these citations and read up more about these interesting reports. Tell your brother, your mother, your undertaker, the candlestick maker about Room Now. Tell them to register. We'll send them good news every week or every day about rheumatology. No nonsense, just education and important news for the care and practice of rheumatology. See you next week. Bye.